0: Hello, hello, hello. It is your host, Grayson Decker. This is a Not So Grateful Dead podcast. I am so excited that you're here. Today, we are going to be covering a disappearance case, and this is episode number five, coming at you live on a Sunday because we are cool bitches now, and do episodes twice a week, so I'm so excited that you're here. This case was actually recommended to me by my aunt, and she lived in the town that this occurred in while it was unfolding, so I got to do a little interview with her. She gave me some information that I feel like is pretty important, and she got to kind of give me an idea of how it felt to be there during the time that things were unfolding and kind of how the people of the town were feeling about this case. So I'm super excited to share all this information with you. Let's get into it. Okay, everyone. So today we're going to be covering the case of Stephen Mitchell Adams. Stephen Mitchell Adams was born on August 4th, 1978 to Carl Adams and Deanie Hayes. And this was in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. He had two brothers, Bradley and Chris, and he was known as a very goofy, fun, loving young man, and he was always a hard worker, super dedicated and determined, and he had this way about him where he could make others laugh all the time, and he was just a wonderful character all around. When he was in his younger years and attending grade school, Carl Adams and Deanie Hayes actually ended up getting a divorce. This, however, did not change who Steven was in the slightest. He still remained the hard-working, goofy, and loving young man that he always had been. After his graduation, Stephen went on to attend Haskell Indian Nations University in Kansas, and here he was pursuing a degree in engineering and was working towards a goal to obtain a management position of sorts. However, his life drastically changed before he was able to graduate from Haskell Indian Nations University, and this was because his girlfriend at the time, Alicia Sizemore, actually found out that she was pregnant. After finding out that she was pregnant, Alicia and Steven moved in together and actually ended up getting married. During this time, he was no longer attending college but working multiple jobs to support his newly developed family. Their daughter's name is Cheyenne Sizemore, and after Cheyenne was born, things between Alicia and Steven kind of began to go super south, and they would constantly argue, and they just could not handle being together anymore. They didn't really see... Any hope for their relationship, so they decided to get a divorce. In December of 2004, when this case unfolded, Stephen Adams was 26 years old. His life was a little hectic at the time because he had recently started attending college again. He was actually attending the Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. He was doing this in an attempt to make a better life, not only for him, but also for his daughter, Cheyenne. He started living with his cousin in his cousin's apartment that was right off of the NSU campus at the time. And he was also working at a local Mexican food restaurant called El Chico. And this restaurant was actually located in Muskogee, Oklahoma, which is about 40 minutes away from Tahlequah, Oklahoma. So not in the exact same town was he working, but he was commuting 40 minutes there and back to make some money for him and his daughter. Also, during this time, Stephen and Alicia were having some really nasty custody battles, and this actually went on for over two years. And as one can imagine, this probably just added a lot of unneeded stress to his life. And actually, during these custody battles, Alicia accused and tried to charge Stephen with, and I'm going to give a trigger warning because this is a very terrible accusation, But she tried to charge him with molestation of a child and she was referring to their daughter Cheyenne and she did this not once but twice and both times these charges were dropped due to a lack of evidence. Stephen kept winning these court proceedings and I actually did an interview with my aunt like I previously stated And she lived in Tahlequah at the time that all of this was happening, so I asked if the town basically believed Alicia's allegations of child molestation or if they leaned towards his side of things and more so believed him in this situation. She stated that some people believed her allegations, but that he was constantly fighting and doing whatever he needed to do to get custody of their daughter. So as you can tell, even through all of this like shit show, he is still working so hard to just maintain that relationship with his daughter. Due to all of these allegations against him, he was only allowed to be around his daughter with supervision, which I could only imagine how difficult that would be because you know that you didn't do anything, and as a result of not doing anything, you literally have to be watched when you're with your daughter the whole entire time, and you have no time with her outside of just this supervised, restricted time, and I just think that that would be so unfortunate. He was actually scheduled to appear in court December 21st, 2004 to get rid of the supervision restricted visits, But unfortunately, he would never actually make it to that court date. Stephen's mother, Deanie, actually recalls a time during one of these custody court dates that Stephen's ex-father-in-law kept repeating that he was going to kill Stephen. The judge tells him to calm down and basically threatens to have him arrested. He calms down, but he still goes on to say, I'm going to kill him. Dini actually feels that he was in fact capable of such a thing and felt as though he was being truthful with these threats. Steven Adams went missing on December 13th, 2004 and has never been heard from again. On December 13, 2004 in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, Steven wakes up like any other day and heads to NSU around 8 to 9 a.m. This morning, however, he was heading to school to take one of his final exams, which we all know is so stressful, and this was to complete his fall semester. Around this time, but a little bit earlier, around 7.50 a.m., there is a first eyewitness sighting of an odd man in the Dollar General parking lot on East Downing Street in Tahlequah. This is only about a minute away from Stephen's apartment complex and also about a minute or so from the Northeastern State University. So it's obviously in very close proximity to where Stephen would be heading and where he was leaving from that very morning. The physical description of this man is he was a Caucasian male, around his 40s to 50s, about 5'11 and around 190 pounds. He had either brown or salt and pepper hair with a beard and mustache that looked as though he had been growing it out for about four to five days. He was wearing a dark green beanie, a dark blue or dark black faded jeans. And he was also wearing a tan Carhartt jacket with a blue flannel underneath it. He was also wearing eyeglasses at the time. There was a forensic sketch done of this man and his description, but no one seems to know who he is. And it has never really been released to the public if they ever even found him or figured out an identity for him. He is also known to be driving a dark-colored 2000 Ford Ranger pickup truck with a silver toolbox in the bed. Also, during the same time, there was other eyewitnesses stating that they had seen this other man at Stephen's apartment complex for several hours. It is unknown whether or not these two men are the same people, but descriptions kind of vary, so it's kind of hard to determine. But it kind of seems as though they are different people They are just at two different locations at the same time. Between anywhere from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m., Steven is taking his exam at NSU. And around 10.45 a.m., Steven finishes up the rest of his exam and he leaves the NSU campus. He is planning to go visit his mother in Weber Falls, Oklahoma, between the time that he was done with class and his five o'clock shift that he had that evening at El Chico. A little after this at 11 a.m., the odd man finally leaves the Dollar General parking lot, which he had been parked at since the first sighting at 7.50 a.m. Quite a few eyewitnesses state that this man was acting very strange and kept getting in and out of his vehicle, but never moving it or leaving the parking lot. He was even approached by one of these eyewitnesses who basically is like, dude, what are you doing? What's up? Like, do you need help? And he basically just tells this guy that he is a construction worker from Keys, Oklahoma, and he is waiting on a ride. This man disappears at around 11 a.m. the same time that Steven leaves NSU. That seems a little suspicious to me. Like, why are you there the whole time that he's taking his exam? And then when he's finally done, you're going to leave? Just very, 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 very odd. At 1107 am steven's girlfriend brianna farr calls him to ask how his final went this call was made from keys oklahoma and this is proven because steven's phone pinged at the time of the call near keys oklahoma Stephen basically tells her that he's in keys oklahoma because he's taking some guy home No one knows who this guy is, um, and it still has yet to be revealed to this day. Brianna does state that she heard a muffled voice of what she believed to be a man in the background of this conversation. This call only lasted for about four minutes, and they ended the conversation with saying that they loved each other, and she said that Stephen seemed to be in really good spirits at the time. After this conversation, Stephen's last known sighting was at a convenience store in Cookson, Oklahoma. And he was sighted and people are saying that he seemed quite agitated at the time of this sighting and he just kind of seemed overall annoyed, which is very different from the feelings that he was having when he was on the phone with Brianna Farr, his girlfriend, just 15-ish minutes ahead of that. He goes inside of this convenience store and buys a soda. He walks outside and stands in front of the store for about five minutes before getting back in his truck and he heads north towards Keys, Oklahoma, where he was just at. This was also in the exact opposite direction of where he was heading at the time, which was his mother's home in Weber Falls, Oklahoma. Eyewitnesses also state that during this time, he was in fact alone. So had he dropped off this supposed hitchhiker and then drove on to Cookson to get a drink for himself just to turn right back around and go home. It's all very weird and I believe he probably would have let his mom know that he was no longer planning to go to her house because it seemed like they had a pretty good relationship. Around 11:30 a.m., Stephen's cousin, who he had been living with at the time, attempted to make a phone call to him, and it only rang twice and then it just went to voicemail. After this, his phone continuously went straight to voicemail, and there was no longer any rings. Stephen's family tried tirelessly to get a hold of him, and this yielded no results. He never showed up at his mother's house. He never showed up to his shift at El Chico scheduled at 4: 5 pm that evening. And this was known to be very unlike Stephen. He was a very punctual employee, and he would never just do a no call no show. It was just not his character. And actually, on December fourteenth, two 2004, Stephen fails to show up for another one of his final exams at NSU. As a lot of us know, college campuses have a finals week where exams are kind of strung out over multiple days. So he, yes, took a test the day before, but he had another one that following afternoon that he never showed up to. After this, his family... Realizes that something is very, very wrong, so they report Stephen Adams as a missing person with the Tahlequah Police Department. Along with this, they also find that he had left all of his personal belongings, like his money clothes and his two medicated inhalers. Stephen actually suffered from severe asthma that would mo- and he would most likely need these if he was planning on just leaving. He only had his belongings with him that would have pertained to class so he basically had like textbooks and such like that in his backpack. It is because of this and because of the upcoming court date on December 21st that the authorities believe this case is a homicide and that the timing of it is no coincidence at all. Authorities searched tirelessly for Steven Adams, but these searches yielded no results. After Stephen Adams disappeared, Alicia Sizemore, his ex-wife, was given a polygraph test. She was asked about Stephen's disappearance and, well, she failed. As we know, polygraph tests are not really the most reliable form of testing due to the inconsistency of results. All people react differently to stressful situations, so it's hard to determine how valid these tests actually are, and this is why polygraph tests are not admissible in court. January of 2005, the family of Stephen Adams receives a very threatening phone call from a random man. He states that he will hurt the family if they do not bring the investigation into his disappearance to a halt. Obviously, this family is not going to stop searching for their boy, but nothing ever happens to them, so it seemed sort of like an empty threat. But why would you threaten them at all? Did you possibly have something to do with his disappearance and that's why you want them to stop? I really have no idea. This person has never been identified, and they have no idea who called them. In 2006, authorities gathered to do a search of Lake Tenkiller, And this is a reservoir in eastern Oklahoma that was formed by the damming of the Illinois River. It is 35 miles in length and it is 165 feet deep, so a lot to search. And during this time, they also do a land search of the Fort Gibson Historical Site. And this is a historical military site located next to the city of Fort Gibson, Oklahoma. It is in Muskogee County, and it's about 42 acres in size, so it is a pretty large area to search as well. Nothing ever yielded from these searches, and Stephen Adams or his white 1995 GMC Sierra pickup truck have never been seen again. His pickup truck was also known to have chrome bed rails, no tailgate covers, and a red pinstripe on both sides, and he had Oklahoma tags with the license plate SCQ714. The family of Stephen Adams hired a private investigator from the Buena Vista agency in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and this was ADW Fry he states that he does not believe that this was just a robbery gone wrong because Steven's social security number, bank account, phone, and his credit cards have never been used since his disappearance. Investigators believe that the man in the Dollar General parking lot and the man in the complex and possibly two other men may have been involved in his disappearance and abduction. In July of 2011, Carl Adam presents a petition to impanel a grand jury. Petitioning to impanel a grand jury is not allowed in a ton of states, only six in total, and Oklahoma is one of these states. This basically gives citizens the right to gather signatures on a petition regarding a legal issue. This then is presented to a panel of jurors which they're referred to as the grand jury they will do their own investigation about the issue and will decide if charges should be brought this petition had some very interesting statements it was stated on this petition that based off of information and belief the individual who stephen adams picked up that fateful day and gave a ride to was ronnie beachling who apparently told multiple individuals that he was delivering Stephen Adams and his truck to other individuals. Ronnie Meachling was also known to supposedly send a letter from jail to his girlfriend at the time, telling her to keep her mouth shut about Mr. Adams. It was also stated that Rick Isingminger had told several different people that he saw Mr. Adams be beat to death and that Ronnie Meechling was in fact involved. And lastly, the petition stated that the suspects in the case have connections to Steven's ex-wife, Alicia Sizemore. But I just have no idea where this Ronnie Meechling character came from and how they came to the conclusion that he was, in fact, the person that was picked up. It's never been told to the public what or where he came from or how he was involved in this story, so I'm really not sure who he is. A grand jury was put together to look at all of the details of this case, and they put together their facts. The grand jury believed that Stephen Adams was, in fact, deceased and he was a victim of homicide. His body was put somewhere in eastern Oklahoma and disposed of. It is also stated that they believe certain individuals, quote-unquote, had motive to murder Stephen Adams. It is also stated that they believe the individual or individuals that were responsible for his death did appear before the grand jury and testified and that they expect this killer will be ultimately brought to justice eventually. Lastly, it was stated that Stevens' white GMC pickup truck was located, parked, locked, and abandoned near the Illinois River shortly after he had disappeared. They also believe that the contents of his truck were stolen and that this included Stevens' NSU textbooks, which apparently whoever stole them received compensation for. Since Stephen Adams' disappearance, neither him or his truck have been located. The grand jury never actually named any persons of interest in the case, just that they believed whoever it was appeared in front of them and testified. So we're not giving any information about who these people might be and what their motive was or anything they just supposedly testified in front of the grand jury, which I don't know how that was found out either, but I digress. Law enforcement has searched tirelessly for Steven Adams, but still nothing has ever been found or figured out about his case. Special Agent Vicki Leon stated that since 2004, we have identified persons of interest in this investigation, and we do know that Stephen's truck was found abandoned following that day. It was found in Cherokee County, and the people who found the truck stole the contents of the truck, but the truck itself has never been recovered. Police have received many leads when it comes to the identity of the unknown Dollar General Creeper man. He still has never been found or identified, that we, the public, know of. They do, however, believe he would be the key to solving this case. Cherokee County District Attorney Jack Thorpe has worked and continues to work on helping to solve this case and states that there is no doubt in his mind that he was murdered, and he will say that all day long. Carl Adams, Stephen's father, states that he has quite strong feelings when it comes to the motivation behind his son's murder, and he states that he accepted a long time back that he is in fact dead, and it was a hit type of thing. Now I'm going to kind of tell you how I feel things might have occurred, but like I said, I really have no idea. I believe that what most likely may have happened is this unknown man at Dollar General was watching Stephen as he left for class, while the other man in the apartment complex was keeping an eye out for Stephen to make sure that he did not head directly back to the apartment after class. They then notify someone else possibly, and this person may have been out in the parking lot of NSU near his truck. They ask for a ride to Keys, Oklahoma, and he says, sure. They drive to Keys, Oklahoma, and he possibly drops this person off or this person hides while Steven basically creates a last known sighting. Then they head back to Keys where maybe the murder possibly occurs, or how Ronnie Meechling was apparently supposed to be delivering him to other people who would then kill him. So, I believe that they then murdered him and dispose of his body somewhere in the vast eastern Oklahoma lands, and they take his truck to the Illinois River, where they then just leave it to be ransacked and eventually stolen. But also, I have no idea. I want to know where this Ronnie Meachling name came from, and like I said, how they are so certain that he is the person that Stephen picked up on that day. I also have no idea if these individuals that were kind of stalking him throughout his day were part of his ex-wife's family, or if they were maybe even hired individuals. Investigators need more tangible evidence in order to get this case any further. When interviewing my aunt and asking her about what her theory was, she stated that she believes it was his ex-wife's family. She also said that she leans towards the idea that someone was in fact hired. And she also states that in Cherokee County, there is a saying that people use a lot and it is, I'll kill them and no one will ever find them. And she said that this is because of the remoteness of that area. Stephen Mitchell Adams is still a missing person. He is around 5'7 and 200 pounds. He has brown hair and brown eyes, and his hair was probably collar length at the time of his disappearance. He is a Native American male and was last seen wearing a black t-shirt and jeans. He had a dark-colored book bag with him, and like I said previously, he was last seen driving his 1995 white GMC Sierra pickup truck, with chrome bed rails, no tailgate covers, and red pinstripes down both sides. His license plate number was SCQ 714. Anyone with information about Stephen Adams' case is inclined to reach out to the Tahlequah Police Department, and you can reach them at 918-207-6019. You can also submit an anonymous tip Either over the phone or you can email this tip to coldcase.tips at da27.org. This is the case of Stephen Mitchell Adams. It is still unsolved. He still has not been found and neither has his truck. So please, if you know anything, please reach out. Like I've stated multiple times, just the smallest tip could be what they need in order to get this case going again and get it solved. Because this case was kind of on the shorter side of things, I'm going to do a little fun Q&A with Creighton real quick and just kind of reintroduce myself and who I am, because some of you might not listen from the very first episode. But yeah, it's going to be fun, and Creighton's going to be back for a short little bit, and it's going to be great. All right, are you ready?
1: I'm ready. I've got some questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. (laughs) Let's get right into it. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose?
0: Probably Edgar Allan Poe.
1: Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. Tell us why.
0: He's a pretty cool guy. His life seemed crazy, and I would like to know what the inspiration of his like writings are, because his stories are wild.
1: Gain some Edgar Allan Poe perspective. Yeah. Are you an introvert or an extrovert?
0: I'd say I am in the middle, sort of. I am sometimes introverted when I first meet people, but when I know you... Sometimes? Well, yeah, all the time. But when I know you and I'm comfortable around you, I am an extrovert. For sure.
1: Okay. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be?
0: Probably mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese.
1: Any particular noodle?
0: Mm, I really like elbow noodles for mac and cheese. But I also like a nice... Thick, but also, like, I don't know.
1: Nice and thick.
0: Nice and thick mac and cheese, but I don't want it to be dry. I don't like dry. I like wet noodles. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds gross, but Nice
1: nice and creamy mac and cheese. Nice
0: and saucy.
1: What was your favorite subject in school?
0: I really liked science. I was not good at history or English, really, but math was my second favorite.
1: Just all science.
0: Yeah. I really liked physics in high school. Which is weird. But I did really like it. Maybe it was just my teacher. He was a really good teacher. But That does yeah. help.
1: Okay, this is the last one I've got. What's okay. your favorite color and what does that say about you?
0: Well I really like It's
1: kinda of two questions
0: in there. Black. One. But I also really like yellow. And I would say to go with the yellow one, as my favorite, instead of black. I'm a pretty positive person. Pretty funny.
1: Why is your eye twitching when you say that?
0: 2022 sucks, okay? But anyways, I'm a pretty positive person. I'm very funny, in my opinion. Pretty funny. I'll give you that. mm, Reminds me of good days.
1: The brighter of times.
0: Yeah, I guess. I can dig it. Do you have any other questions? Well, that's the only
1: questions I had. I mean, I can ask you some more questions. Um, Let's see. What is your number one goal in life?
0: That's really hard. I've always wanted to have a coffee shop because I really like coffee. I was a barista in my past life before the nine to five. But I don't know. I really like this too. So maybe something with this. Like growing my audience, that would be cool, but obviously, it doesn't have to happen. I'm having fun just in general.
1: Okay, well, I guess that leads me to another question What are all of your social media handles?
0: So, yes, I do have all of the socials. Let me tell you my email, the not so grateful dead pod at gmail.com, my website is the not so grateful com. My Instagram is the Not So Grateful Dead underscore (laughs) podcast. TikTok is. Is that a question? The Not So Grateful Dead pod. And Facebook is the Not So Grateful Dead podcast with Grayson Decker. So that's everywhere I can be found. Nice. And contacted, I guess.
1: Go find it everywhere.
0: Yeah. Follow me on everything. I post all of the pictures and stuff on all of my social media. And then go
1: tell your friends.
0: Yeah. Tell your friends. We have like, fun over here.
1: I don't know. Maybe not first thing in the morning. You don't need to be talking about just some morbid stuff. Like oh, my God. 8.30 over coffee, but maybe over lunch while you're at work or, I don't know, hanging out with the family and just bring up this podcast.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Is that it? Is that everything?
1: That's all I've got. You brought all me right. here.
0: Okay. Goodbye. Hello. <laughs> I do apologize for how short this episode is in length. There's just not a whole lot of information out about him and his case, but I hope that I gave you a good one this week. Genuinely, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, like I've already said. And yeah, I think that's about it. It's so lovely getting to talk to you more than once a week now. I am so excited for how fun this adventure has been and how fun it's going to be. I love you all so very much. And yeah, I'll see you on Wednesday. Bye-bye.